Paul's, the Apostle Paul's to Timothy. Uh, if you would, uh, chapter 2, excuse me, I'm sorry, chapter 3. And we're going to look at one verse. And um, we're going to be looking at that one verse, actually, um, for, for four weeks. And, uh, and that sounds crazy, because normally we'll take a passage and we'll, we'll go through a whole bunch of texts in one Sunday. But today, this, this uh, series, Breath, we're going to do, um, is going to focus on one verse for four weeks. And so we're going to unpack it, and there's a lot in this verse. Okay, so if you're in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, um, verse 16, it'll be up here on the screen if y'all would read with me. It says... All scripture is breathed out by God. Let me stop there. That could be translated God breathed. Okay. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. You with me? For training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, even for this one verse that says so much about your word. And so, Lord, as we look at this and we study it the next uh, four weeks, Lord, I pray that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts, that we might see your glory and your beauty ever more clear. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. So I was working out several years ago. Any, like a normal workout that I was doing at the time. And, and I did something. I stood up. And all of a sudden, the muscles in both sides of my back seized up. Never had this happen before. And it would have been fine, but it really hurt. And the problem, though, is it, it really hurt, but it hurt to breathe in. And so I'd breathe in, and it would make it hurt worse. And it would make me want to breathe out because when you when you're somebody it's like somebody's stabbing you in the back, you kind of want to go ah, right? And so I literally sat there for a minute, going, <laughs> it was really crazy. And I I mean I I started to panic. And finally, for about after about I mean, it probably only lasted like a few seconds, but it felt like I was gonna die. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so, but up to that point, other than you know I'm breathing heavy because of a workout, I really wasn't thinking about my breathing. And all of a sudden, it became really important and a focus of my attention. But most of the time, when we breathe, we don't think about it. You know, now you are, because I mentioned it, right? Now you're like, you know, and so we breathe in and out, we breathe in and out, we breathe all the time, but we don't really think about it. Uh, and so we're always breathing, and and. With, and that's great. That is a, the, a beautiful design of the human body. There's a lot of things that we do without thinking about it. We blink. You know, there's a lot of things we, we're doing all the time without thinking about it. We're, we're swallowing pretty regularly to get saliva out of our mouth so it doesn't come drooling out. That's, at least we hope we're able to do that, right? Because, you know, you go to a nursing home, you might see that happening. Um, but we breathe in, we breathe out, we breathe in, we breathe out all the time on this regular basis without thinking about it. And if we had to think about it all the time, you know, we might forget to breathe, and that would be a problem. And because especially some of us that are more forgetful, right? So we forget a lot of things. So it's sort of this involuntary, somebody help her, 
involuntary process that happens. And that's awesome unless, that's awesome unless the air that you are breathing happens to be not healthy, happens to be polluted or toxic. Then that involuntary process of drawing air in and pressing it out, in and out, can be actually a life-threatening proposition. And over a period of time, if you, if you breathe polluted, toxic air, you're going to have lung cancer or other problems and it may kill you. And I'll bring that up because we all breathe. We all breathe, and, I, and we all breathe air, of course, oxygen into our lungs to live. But we also constantly breathe in other ways. We breathe intellectually, we breathe emotionally, and we breathe spiritually. We are always taking things in. We are always taking, sometimes t- pressing out. We are always, in, you know, taking information in, we're all, and we're breathing in, we're breathing out. Emotionally, we're always taking in, we're taking out, and spiritually as well. And here's the thing, if, if what you are taking in what you are breathing in, in, uh, intellectually, emotionally, and particularly spiritually, if that is polluted, if that is toxic, guess what? You're going to be toxic emotionally, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And here at Vintage Grace, we believe that the best thing that you can breathe in for your health spiritually, and I would say intellectually and emotionally as well, is God's Word. That's what, if anything, we are. We're a, we're a church that says that we, we are founded on the Bible. And so, um, we think that God's Word is the best thing that you can breathe. Why? Because Paul makes an, a really incredible statement here that we're going to unpack over the next four weeks. He says that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And if so, it is actually a breath of life. It is no accident that the Apostle Paul would use this word, God-breathed. It's no accident, and there's no doubt that he is looking back to early chapters of Genesis... When man, God took man and formed him out of the dust of the earth. And what does it say? It says God breathed life into him. And so, this series is going to be breath. Live in the word. And so Paul's letter here, he makes this really remarkable claim about the Bible. All scripture is God breathed profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete and equipped for every work. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to kind of lay that out, all right? We're going to chunk this into four sections, and we're really going to dig into what it means to be uh, God-breathed. What, is it God's, what does that mean that God's word would be God-breathed? What, what does it mean that scripture would be profitable? We're going to get practical with this as well. What does it mean that it's profitable or valuable to us? And why would we need to be equipped with it? 
Well, that's kind of how we're going to lay this out over the next four weeks, okay? But Paul is saying here is that breath, like breath, Scripture is essential for our spiritual lives. Okay, and so the first statement he says here is all Scripture. Now, we could breeze past that and assume we know and everybody knows what that means. But I want to kind of look at that and say, okay, what does he mean by that? What is it? Now, this may be an ele- a little bit elementary for you. You've been around the church and Christians for a long time or whatever. Uh, so in that case, I want you to bear with me. However, if that is you, and, and you've been around, you, you've heard a lot of what I've said. What I'd like you to do is actually take some notes from my playbook of how I'm going to approach these questions. Okay? Because I'm going to ask some four questions that people ask all the time. I want you to take some notes on ter- terms of how we approach answering these questions because people may ask you of these same questions. And how would you answer them? And how I answer them now, really different than I used to answer them. Okay? And so, but if you kind of knew around here, or maybe some of these questions you really haven't thought about a whole lot. Okay? So, let's ask the first one. What is Scripture? What does he mean by Scripture? Okay? And I'm going to just answer that real quick. The scripture he means here is the Bible. Okay? And, and, and he uses the word all here. So he means every part of what would be the Bible. Now, particularly, he means Old Testament. The Bible is divided up into, the Bible is divided up into two parts most of the time. It's Old Testament, New Testament. So what we're talking about here, though, is in, in terms of all scripture, he's talking about what we would say are the 66 books that make up the Bible. Okay? And, and these 66 different books, okay, and we, and we say books, but they're really more than that. They're not just books. There's poetry, letters, writings, and, and uh, wisdom. And the remarkable thing is they're written over thousands of years, and they remarkably tell the same unified story. That's what's amazing. There's this unified, beautiful story told from beginning to end. And try to get, you know, anybody to, you know, tell different stories and different things and actually be able to connect those together would be impossible. But God has done that. But for 2,000 years, okay, Christians and then Jews before that in terms of the Old Testament have claimed that these books are actually God's special revelation to us. So these, the, if you pick up a Bible or look, scroll in your phone and you look at those 66 books of the Bible, Christians for nearly 2,000 years have said this is God's special revelation. Now, because I, I just read, he's a popular Christian art, uh, uh, writer, was very popular in the evangelical world, probably 10, you know, more like 15, 20 years ago. Very popular, like every small groups and youth groups were using his videos and different things like that. And he, I just read in a newer, newer book he just wrote on what is the Bible, that, that God's word can be scripture, but it's also a lot of other things. That it's God's actions and works throughout creation. So I could go out to a starry night and hear God's word. Is that true? Yes and no. <laughs> okay. Because what we would say is that the 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament are, in fact, 
God's special revelation as opposed to general revelation. Yes, you can go out on a starry night and those stars will proclaim to you the glory of God. You go to the Grand Canyon or Seaside um, Ocean or you could you know, go into a wonderful, beautiful forest or something of that sort and you can see the handiwork of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, we're told in the Psalms. So, yes, God reveals himself. However, it is not special revelation because God has revealed himself in a special way about how we might know him. We'll get into that in a special way in these books. Okay? So, that's what we would say scripture is. Where did this come from? Where did the Bible come from? It's a good question, isn't it? You know, you're talking uh, 66 writings written over thousands of years is what it is. And so where did they come from? And so let's just do a little quick Bible, Bible history. Where did the Bible come from? So, and you have to go back a long time. And if you remember, there was, uh, uh, if anybody's known these stories from growing up in Sunday school or whatever, Moses and the Israelites were in Egypt. And God delivers them out of Egypt and takes them to a place called Sinai and begins to give them the Ten Commandments. And, and all during this time, God begins to reveal himself to his people in a special way. And, and, and through his people, the Israelites, these special people that he calls and wants to make them his people, they begin to write down and record what God has revealed to him to them about himself. And so the, the first writings we get are the first five books of, the, of what we call the Old Testament. And it, um, Jews would call it the Hebrew Bible. And those first five books are the Torah. And they tell of God's the, the beginning of creation and the calling of Abraham and how Israel was formed and all these things. And then it gets to the point of the, their, their plight in Egypt and the deliverance and the giving of the law and so on. And then, then um, as time goes on, God continues, they begin to continue to write the story of Israel. Okay? And, but here's the thing you guys need to know. So this, this, these 39 books of the Old Testament are being written and formed over, you know, a period of probably 1,000 to 1,500 years in Israelites' history. But this is the important thing that you need to hear here, is by the time of Jesus's, by the time Jesus is, comes on the scene, is born a baby, and lives his life. Those 39 books and writings, 39 writings, are considered authoritative God's word by every Jew. Okay? Now, there were some other books that were included in that, that were, had been written um, right after that period of time before Jesus was born. Okay, they call it the intertestamental period, about 400 years. There were some other books that were written, and they're really good. They're really great reading. Okay? And some Christians later added them to their Bible. They call this the Apocrypha. Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, but here's the thing. Jews did not think the Apocrypha was Scripture. Jesus, even though he quoted from the Septuagint, which included these Apocryphal books, he doesn't consider them Scripture. So why would we? Good question, right? So these 39 books of the Old Testament, Jesus and the other Jews believed were God's word, Scripture, already. 
okay? So just so you know that. And that's enough for me, by the way, okay? To know that, yes, okay, that was solidified way before, actually long before Jesus comes on the scene. So what about the New Testament? Well, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, most Jews would have said that um, the, the prophets had been silenced. That God, that, 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 that scripture had been closed in the, by, by Malachi. They actually named him. They say by, by Malachi's time of his writing that the prophets had been silenced. And, and, yeah, and these other people would write and they would claim to write from you know, these different people or whatever in the apocryphal books or whatever. But most Jews said no, that, that the scripture was closed and now uh, the, silent, the prophets had been silenced. And then Jesus was born. And Jesus wasn't just another uh, prophet, was he? He was a prophet. But he was way more than that. And he came claiming that his words were life. And that and we're told in John chapter 1 that he is the word of God himself. So he comes and his words, his teaching, his mission, his life, what he would do would not only be equal to Scripture, but would supersede it and be more precious and valuable than this Old Testament. Okay? And so, and so what happened then was after Jesus' uh, death and his resurrection, he passes on authority, that same God-given authority to his disciples. That's why we call them apostles. And he gave them authority and said, the Holy Spirit will come and remind you of these things. And he will guide you in teaching these very things that I have taught you. And so that's where we get the beginning of the New Testament, which is the biographies of Jesus. We call them the Gospels. And those biographies okay, uh, tell the life and the teachings and the works of Jesus and what he came to do. All right. And then... Um, as the church begins and gets formed, you get the, the account in Acts of the beginning of the early church, like we saw in our last uh, series, Empowered. Um, and then, but then you begin to get these letters and these teachings from the Apostle Paul to the church, and then to Peter, and to James, and others. And so then, this New Testament, this new word, begins to be formed. And here's the thing, very shortly... After the life of the eyewitness apostles, the church began not to select these. Oh, we'll take this book, that book. No, they began to recognize those writings as being the true word of God. And very shortly, there was councils that said, yes, these books are indeed authentic, uh, authentically God's word. Now, there's someone out there that would say, no, they pick and choose or whatever and so on. But that's not what happened so that's a really quick short history of the bible and so i had somebody on facebook ask me a question based off the promo that we had done said um, who wrote the bible where did it come from or whatever and i i answered back and said um i actually said several things but and i don't normally respond to this kind of thing but i decided to do kind of a c.s lewis thing uh just engage with this guy I said, well, first of all, if you say who wrote the Bible, that's a really tough question because it's 66 different writings. It's like, what do you mean? Which The real question is, is which part of the Bible is really the question you need to ask. And that's, that's a really long 
detailed answer, okay? Um, but I, I told him, you know, the Old Testament, frankly, it doesn't matter to me because by the time of Jesus' death, he, he took it as God's word. And I believe Jesus was who he said he was. New Testament, by now, these days, the vast majority of New Testament books, even by critical scholars, there's not a lot of debate about who wrote them. There's a few, but overall, we know who wrote them. You know, it's usually the apostles or close associates and so on. I could go through that list with you if you want, but I won't right now. Okay, so who, who wrote the Bible? We, you know, there's a lot. That's a big, long question. But where did it come from? It came as God's special revelation to his people over a long period of time. And here's the thing. You know, there's, there's no collection of literature in the world that compares to, a, to, to this collection of book that can, tells the same thread of story that goes all the way through. It's remarkable. It's beautiful. Call it the crimson thread, son. So where did it come from? So let's move on from there. So how do we know that this collection of 66 books that we call the canon of Scripture, how do I know it's true and trustworthy? This is, a, this is the real question here, okay? Okay, fine. Christians believe this is Scripture. Let's just stop there and leave it there for now, okay? That's what we believe is Scripture. Moving on. Okay, so how do we know it's true? How do we know it's trustworthy? Okay, and so... Let me just go through a few things that I, that I will point to for you. And there's much more here, okay? There's, I'm, I would point you to books and so on. But first of all, it is authentic. You know what I mean by that? Like, it, 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 it just rings true. And, and how do I, what I mean specifically, I would say, how is God's word authentic? Well, if somebody's inauthentic, what they say sort of comes across as being fake, right? Maybe a little too polished, or maybe a little too dramatic, or this, that, or the other. And, and the, the Bible comes across just clear, straight to the point, okay, and, and authentic. And it's also authentic in, you know, because some say, oh, the Bible was just written to, you know, it was created, these stories were created to tell a, a good story and to control people and this, that, and the other, or whatever. And my, my answer to that would be, why, if you are creating a story, and you're creating stories in order to, you know, control people, to create this narrative so that you can, whatever. So it's created for whatever purpose. Why, if you're writing something, and you're creating it from scratch or whatever, or you're embellishing it, whatever, why would most of the main characters and leaders be so flawed? I mean, if you go through the list of the main characters of the Bible, they are messed up, broken people. They're faithless, they're liars, they're murderers, they're adulterers, they're persecutors of the church. I mean, just go down the line. Go through Matthew's genealogy in the first chapter of Matthew. And his, he lists the, the genealogy of Jesus himself, the Messiah. And he includes harlots and pagans. He includes um, adulterers and liars. And go down the list. Why would anybody do that? If you go through the rest of the other ancient uh, um, scripture books or whatever, the, the holy people are, are pictured as holy. <laughs> they're, you know, they're really good people. They really do amazing things, all this stuff. 
Um, and the Bible is not like that at all. So there's just authenticity about it, okay? But it's also trustworthy. In other words, in two ways, okay? First of all, let's just talk about archaeology, okay? So what we see in the Bible, what it describes, and the events, the places, or whatever, those things are accurate. As a matter of fact, archaeology would, be, would struggle, particularly of the Middle East, would struggle to exist had not the Bible been around. Most archaeologists that, that do work in the Middle East, that region of the world, they carry a Bible because they can look and see, oh, yeah, and they use the Bible to find these different places and so on. And um, one um, prominent, um, very famous um, uh, Jewish archaeologist um, said this. Uh, his name was uh, Nelson Gluck. And he was a rabbi, but also a really famous archaeologist for a long time. I think he passed away in the early 70s. said this, It may be stated categorically, no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. And you can still say that today. So if the Bible wasn't trustworthy and wasn't speaking truth and talking things um, accurately, we would be able to say, oh, no, look, they got this wrong or they got that wrong or whatever. And that just doesn't happen. And it's been, it's been a long time. It's been 2,000 years for archaeologists to find something that would prove it wrong. And at times, and very often at times throughout uh, history, they thought they've got us. We got you. And then uh, it just ends up, oh, no, we were wrong. We, we messed that one up. We, we just misunderstood what it was saying. Um, and it, you know, the moderns who think they're so smart and have it all together found, found out, oh, we're kind of idiots about this stuff sometimes. Okay, so it's trustworthy. Um, but it's also trustworthy in that it, it has actual predictive prophecy in it. Okay, so in other words, it, it basically you see references that look into the future and somehow are able to predict that future. All right, so... Um, let me just show you a chart real quick. Can you pull that chart up for me? And I'm not going to go through all of this, but here's a list of, I don't know, was that like 15, 20? Okay, the list of actual predictive prophecies that we can verify are in the hundreds. Okay, but here's just a few where you see, say like the born of a virgin. Who would know that? Um, In Isaiah 7, and we see that fulfilled in Matthew 1 and so on. Born in Bethlehem. Silent, before, betrayed by a friend, uh, beaten and spat upon. This all, these are particularly about Jesus. Uh, forsaken by God, uh, pierced for our sins. Uh, all of these things, uh, you know, even like the casting of lots for clothing. I mean, how do you predict that? Some of these may be bigger theme ideas. Some of them are really, really, really specific. And so, and this is throughout Scripture. You had this predictive prophecy. And, um, and if you were a Jew... You would say, hey, that means a lot. Because a prophet would be considered a false prophet if his prophecy was proven wrong. They would actually stone them to death. Okay? So it's um, trustworthy. So let me, let me just bring up an objection here. But Russell, the Bible has been used in so many bad ways over the centuries. I mean, the Bible has been used by murderers. It was used by Hitler. I mean, it, it's been used in a lot of bad ways. How can I believe a book that has caused so much bad stuff? 
good question, right? I, I hear that one a lot. Um, my question would, my, my response to that would be simple. Very simple. Okay? If, if I use a shovel to kill somebody, okay, you with me? You following? Okay? If I use a shovel as a weapon and I kill somebody, does that mean all shovels are bad? No. Shovels are good. They're useful when you, you know, if you use it in the proper way. And that, so, yes, God's word can be twisted in horrible ways. Sometimes it's the best things that can be used in the worst ways. And so that objection is used a lot. That, yeah, look, you know, the Bible's been used by the church in this, that, and the other in horrible ways. I, yeah, I agree. That's the, and, and I've used it poorly. But that doesn't make it and it's in, inherently bad in itself. Okay? So I would say, yes, the Bible is true and it's trustworthy. Okay? However, okay, let's let's stop. Okay, so we've we've seen where does the Bible come from? Where did it come? Where does it where does it come from? Is it trustworthy? However, here's another question. Okay, is it the Word of God? This is a bigger question. Is the Bible, these sixty six books, God's revelation to us? Now, this is a lot. This is a tougher question, isn't it? Somebody says, how do you know the Bible is the Word of God? How would you answer that? How do you know the Bible is the Word of God? I know it is. I believe it is. How would I tell somebody that it is? Okay. Here, first of all, I'm going to say this. You or I cannot prove that the Bible is the Word of God. There's no science experiment. There's no, there's no formula nothing like that that I can offer you. Okay, now people want proof though, don't they? And unfortunately, we, we can't, we can't, we don't have anything to offer. I can't prove to you that this is the word of God. Well, you can't prove it. It can't be true, right? Maybe not. Okay, How, however, I think that the Bible itself proves itself to be his word. It's, it's put it this way: the Bible is self-authenticating in a lot of ways, but particularly the Bible is self-authenticating because what it tells us, what it shows us, is God's glory, and and it's not just any glory, but it's a glory of a God who works in mysterious ways, but also He works in weakness and He works. Um, through the brokenness and the broken things of this world to show his glory. Okay? The, another, also, the Bible is self-authenticating because the message that it brings actually has power in it. It actually, somebody shut that door for me, think. Actually the, presents what we call the gospel. And that gospel has life-changing power. I've seen it, okay? So, you, you don't, but here's the thing. You don't have to be a historical scholar to see that. Okay, this is a big question there. If, you know, 
you know, it was one actually missionaries who were uh, trying to they were hoping to present the Bible to people uh, in a third world country, and um, they had this question that you know these people aren't going to understand historical arguments. They're not. There's none of that's going to matter to them. How, how can they see that the Bible's true? And the, and the way that they could show them that it's true is is to present what it presents, and leave bringing those truths to light. And then let them speak for themselves. You follow what I'm saying? And, but here's the, the, the dangerous part. The, the scary part of that is, is, no, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. You don't have to be a PhD or historian to see the, the authenticating truths of the Bible are true. But that is supernaturally revealed. Okay? Um, Okay, the, here's the thing. The beauty of the Bible is that it tells the story of a God that would sacrifice his own son in order to invite us into relationship with him. And that, that message, that story is self-authenticating. And when we present that to people, then the Bible can speak for itself. We don't have to go, you don't have to go get a degree in history, which I love history, and, and, and we should be able to answer some questions about the authenticity or the historicity or whatever of the Bible, but we don't have to, we, don't, we can point people to a book, okay? Now, um, let me point real quickly to a book that if you do want to dig into this idea of God's self-authenticating word, I would point you to a, a book by John Piper, and when I bought this book, I stuck it, I kind of was like, eh, it looks all right, you know. And I stuck it on a shelf, and as I've been uh, digging in and reading different things for this series, I'm just struck by how good this book is. I have a lot of books on the, the historical arguments for the Bible. I have a lot of books on archaeology, on why, you know, philosophical, you know, apologetics for the Bible and so on. And, and it's all, that's all really good. But what he does here, he shows how the Bible is how the Bible itself authenticates itself. So this book is called A Peculiar Glory. Peculiar Glory. Alright? How the Christian scriptures reveal their complete truthfulness. So you don't you don't have to have history and, and archaeology and all that. Although that's all good to give us some sense of um, uh, Yes, this is true, this is right, or whatever. This is good stuff. However, the message itself authenticates itself. Okay, but let's, let me talk real quick as we close. Okay. So when I, I went to Bible college, and I learned a lot about the Bible. I learned a lot about, like, the theory of evolution and arguing about that. And I, I you know, I learned a lot about Bible history and archaeology and evidence for it and the philosophical reasons why you should believe in God and all this different. So I had all the, had amassed all this information in my head. And I went home and I met up with my brother who is a self-proclaiming atheist and, and got into I was eager too, man. I was like, yeah, I got all this knowledge. I'm going to show him. And I went home and like we argued and debated all night long. And I remember being so frustrated the next day. I was like, 
I gave him all these great arguments. I laid it all out. I mean, I proved. He had nothing to say. I outwitted him. And I snowed him under with evidence. And he went home an atheist. I was so frustrated. I couldn't understand why. Here's the thing. I've stopped trying to prove the Bible. I, I have given up trying to prove the Bible to people. Okay? Um, and, and like we said, and one, because it's, I do believe it's, it's supernaturally revealed. Okay? Right? Okay? But here's the thing. If people don't want to believe the Bible, they're not going to. So that, a question that guy that he posted, and this is my real reason for responding to the guy on Facebook, wasn't to answer his question. Because sometimes when somebody answers, ask a question, it's not to really ask a question, it's to pick a fight. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's like, you know, uh, uh, Paul David Tripp asked his wife one time and as they were getting ready to go to church, and they were gonna, obviously going to be late. You know, I think they were doing like a breakfast before church, and he's, he made the comment, it was a question, you know, you realize, honey, that this is a breakfast, not a dinner. Right? That is, a, that is not a, an inquisitive question. That's fighting question, right? <laughs> That's trouble. And this guy asked, I think, asked a question like that. And so I kind of quickly said, I really can't answer you in short order or whatever. But then I said, but let me ask you another, another question. Do you want to believe the Bible? Because if you really don't want to believe the Bible, you are going to find any reason to not believe it. Maybe some individual who did something weird with the Bible or some experience you've had, or you'll find a book. Somebody, there's, a, there's a libraries full of books giving you reasons why you may not believe the Bible. However, if you want to believe the Bible, let me show you what it says. Let me give you some reasons why you might want to believe it. Now, that may not lead you to believe it, but it might begin you on a genuine investigation. You follow where I'm at now? That's what we need to do. Stop trying to prove the Bible. Find people who might, or, and help people maybe want to believe it first. Right when I was um, a, a young man and I and, and got and I had gone through a lot of bad things or whatever, um, and and somebody invited me to a church and I saw these crazy Christians singing and doing stuff. I thought these people are crazy, and then the idea came to mind: maybe what they're singing and, and they're happy. Maybe they have something to sing and be happy about. This just a novel idea, and 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 so I wanted. I just part of just who they were, how they were living, how they loved me and one another, made me just think, man, maybe I would like to have what they have. And so I started to slightly want to believe it. And that took me on a, a journey. And then I began to listen to what the Bible actually had to say. Okay, so... So what I would say to somebody is, 
don't you want the Bible to be true? That the creator of the universe, your creator, the one who designed you, who wants to know you, to give you joy beyond understanding, in order to do that, he, he was willing to sacrifice his only son, and that, and that through his miraculous defeat of death and the resurrection, you are promised perfect, harmonious life and utopia forever. Wouldn't that be great if it was true? Then offer people, open the lid so people can see the dinner, the leaf. Don't you want it to be true? But a lot of people don't want it to be true. They, they've had a bad experience or the, or the hard message. But I, what I thought when I was a young man, that it was just a list of rules. And when I remember, I was in ninth grade science class, and the, the teacher offered a little reason why I might not believe the Bible. I thought, yes, that's it. Evolution. I don't have to believe the Bible. I can do whatever I want. I thought, woohoo, hallelujah, liberation. Uh, you think I'm kidding. It was like I had been born again. And for years, I went for it. And I found out that, was, that wasn't the easy way. But I, it, the, the Bible at that point, and so it was a reversal to say, man, maybe you should not not want to believe a Bible, but maybe you might want to. Now, for us as Christians, those of you who do believe the Bible, good question to leave you with. Are you neglecting it? Are you neglecting God's word? Um, now, I get it. We're going to talk about this over the next week. God's word is hard. It's difficult. It's work. Okay? But, let's, just, let's use an analogy here. If somebody came to you and told you that you have oil in your backyard you, that's worth millions and millions of dollars, Right, you might get a shovel and start working, start digging, liquid gold, and then after you've done that hard work, then you can go live in Beverly Hills with the whole family. Here's the thing, okay? If we believe this message is true, and it really is beautiful to you, okay, we might go through the work to get it and go through it. And I'm hope to show you guys over the next weeks how, why that would be valuable to you. That you would do the hard work of reading and studying God's Word regularly. Okay, so that, I'm going to leave y'all. We're going to be starting a challenge for everybody. Okay, um, and we want to make this simple for you. We want you to get into God's Word. Okay, it's, it's a lot of words. Okay, um, and there's a lot there, okay? But so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to read together. We're going to start a, a reading plan together, if y'all are with us on this, okay? We're going to challenge you for 100 days to read with us in the Bible, all right? And, and to do this, you don't have to do it exactly this way, but we just felt like, hey, listen, if we just give everybody an easy uh, way to do this, um, we're going to be more likely to do it, okay? So I want to encourage you to go to uversion.com. 
You remember that? Uversion.com. And it's put out by LifeChurch.tv, um, uh, uh, a church um, that they pay and they did all this and they offer it entirely free. And it's really well done. But if you go to Uversion.com, and you can download the Bible app. Okay? You can get it on your computer, your iPhone, your Android, your, your Kindle, your whatever. They have it for everything. Okay? Um, but you can also search in your iTunes store or your uh, Android store or whatever. Look up version, and you'll see. It'll show up as Bible. Okay? Download that app for free. Okay? And then look at, go to, search for a plan. There's Bible reading plans. And search for Essential 100. Y'all with me? The Essential 100. And that Bible plan is 100 days, okay, of reading through these uh, essential passages of Scripture, giving us uh, an overview of what Scripture teaches, okay? Um, so, this is just the challenge. So, I'm going to challenge you. Start tomorrow. Okay, we don't all have to be on the exact same day or whatever, Okay, but here's the thing: if the readings I've already, I've gone I've been going through them. They're they're short, a chapter, you know, maybe chapter and a half. You know, it's really short readings. So it starts, it gives you a couple chapters in Genesis, and then you know you just start moving through the Bible. It's really simple. Okay, and so um, and then our goal is later after that hundred days, maybe we could all jump in and start making a way through an actual yearly reading plan or something of that sort. That's, that's what people do, though. They, I've done it, you know, a thousand times. I'll start, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And then I get to that place where you've got five chapters in Leviticus, and you're just like, oh, I'm done. Or you get behind, and then you just feel overwhelmed. Okay, so uh, 100 days, short readings, uh, the essential 100, okay? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty of your word.